0: Hello, everyone. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, depending on where you are in the world. Welcome to Time to Come Alive. As usual, we have this wonderful opportunity every week to have some fantastic, engaging conversations with wonderful people. And today is no different. And I will introduce my special guest in just a moment. And if you're on, live, uh, fa- on Facebook Live, feel free to share this on your timeline so other people can join in, and that way you have something to talk about today or the rest of the week, something that you saw. Those of you who are live with us on Zoom, uh, thank you so much for being here. Please feel free to also share that you're, you're listening to Time to Come Alive. That way you can engage some of your friends and people in your circle to have these conversations with you. In the meantime, In the meantime, I want to take a moment to just get mindful of what we're about to experience, of the conversation that we're going to be having before I introduce my special guest. Our topic today is about control. And so I think this is probably something that many of us deal with. And the meditation that we have or the mindful moment that we have today is actually inspired by the Chopra Center and their website. So I want to just have you all start off by getting comfortable if you're sitting or if you're standing. And it might be helpful for you to close your eyes if you choose used to. For some, it might be helpful to just unfocus your gaze, soften your gaze a bit. And with that, just take a couple of deep cleansing breaths. As you allow
1: your mind to settle, get grounded. I have a few phrases as we start, but I'd like for you to repeat to yourself. Taking a breath, repeat to yourself. May I be happy? May I be peaceful? May I be free from suffering? You might say that one more time.
2: May I be happy?
1: May I be peaceful.
0: May I be free from suffering. As you say those phrases to yourself, just think of them washing over you like a warm bath. And this is the compassion that we have towards ourselves. We don't always have the ability to mindfully manage when that control issue comes flaring up but you can be compassionate to yourself by saying those phrases. And now for those that have a brand of control towards other people, I'd like you to think of a person or a group of people in your life with whom you'd also like to express some compassion. We're gonna use the same phrases, but this time, these are the phrases I'd like for you to repeat to yourself. May you be happy. May you be peaceful. May you
1: be free from suffering. I'll say those again. May you be happy. May you be peaceful. May you be free from suffering. And finally, I want you to think of
0: an organization or perhaps a community of people for whom you would like to express some compassion. Hold
1: that in your mind. And we'll say those phrases again. May you be happy. May you be peaceful. May you be free from suffering. One more time. May you be happy. May you be peaceful. May you be free from suffering. I'm going to take a breath in, exhale, and when you're ready,
0: you may open. open your eyes or refocus your gaze. All right, welcome back. So I know today's topic really has, we have to be very compassionate with each other and ourselves because it can be quite a touchy subject when we talk about control and control issues and The person that I thought would be perfect to bring on for this conversation is one that I met, had the fortune of maybe getting to know really well, I should say. I met many years ago, but really getting to know her about three or four years ago when I was wanting to celebrate my birthday, but I wanted to celebrate my birthday in a a unique and fun way. I just discovered that the expression of love in my life had only been limited, excuse me, to certain relationships, those relationships that I can control, those relationships that I felt qualified. And I wanted to unleash, I wanted to unleash love upon my life in different ways. And so I actually enrolled the support of Grace Vivian, Reverend Grace. (laughs) And we had the opportunity to walk through a way in which I could do that with integrity, a way in which I could do that and have fun with it. And we created together, Hashtag 16 days of love with hope. And Grace, I don't know if you remember that or not, (laughs) but we spent hours. I called her my love mentor for many years or for many months after that, because so much of the process for me was really just being able to be compassionate with myself when some kind of judgment came up about doing it a certain way or certain people were going to participate and how it's going to look. And one of the things I appreciate so much about you, Grace, and wanna share with other people is that you remind me of who I am when I forget, you know? And that happens a lot, especially when, in, in my case, I wanted, some certain, I wanted a certain outcome, and I wanted it a certain way and a certain time, and you would remind me of who I am and what I'm here to do, and you still do that to this day, and we've taken on, over the last year and a half or so, meeting on a regular basis, and we have these really profound conversations for hours, and I just I admire you so much and appreciate so much of what you bring to my life. So, so glad that you could join us this morning for this program.
2: Welcome. We have a mutual admiration society. <laughs> I never leave you without being uplifted. You're just Yay. a in my life. <laughs> Thank you.
0: Same here. Same here. Now, I'm curious, and, and I know I, we talked a little bit about this earlier, but I'm curious if you could tell everyone why you said yes to coming on this program not one that you participate in on a regular basis, but I know you're super supportive of everything I do, but I'm curious about why you said yes and what you would like to get out of this experience for yourself.
2: I said yes because you're so persuasive. <laughs> I mean, it was presented to me in such a way that I thought, oh, oh well, I guess I could do that, couldn't I? <laughs> I would never have volunteered. I would never have thought of doing it. But you just have that that um, you said that I supported you you just you know you have a way of supporting somebody to um, encouraging them I felt like oh well maybe I do have something to offer that somebody else might be willing to listen to so I said yes it was only later that my control issues kicked in and it scared me spitless
0: (laughs) (laughs) so so I'm going to ask about that in just a second so, knowing that you said yes and control issues came up, what would you like to get out of this experience today?
2: I want to speak in such a way that Spirit just allows me to flow. I want my control issues to erase themselves so that I really can speak in such a way that um, I say something that Spirit is meant for me to say that will be valuable to somebody out there listening. Uh, and it's been a real um, challenge. I, I, my control issues are not gone. <laughs> <laughs> I have this, I have this um, recurring dream sometime. I haven't had it in, I don't know, months, but, but I have this recurring dream where I'm an actress and I'm about to go on, the play is about to start, and I can't remember one single line. Or I'm about to deliver a speech. I've lost all my notes. <laughs> Knowing that this was not going to be a scripted talk, but it was just going to be a conversation, and I didn't know what the questions were going to be, I, this is my worst nightmare. <laughs> so I'm going to be able to get through this well. <laughs> I still got a lot to work on. <laughs> well, you're doing
0: well so far, and and thank you for inviting me to be a part of your worst nightmare. <laughs> Oh, my pleasure. <laughs> so, so now, I, I, obviously you described that not having something scripted and not really being prepared and then those recurring dreams, this, this, not, this need to prepare in advance, right? This need to plan is so important to you. Talk to us about where that comes from.
2: Well, you know, there's the nature and the nurture. There's nature and nurture. And it's always, it's both, absolutely both. I am born on the 22nd of August on the cusp. My sun sign is Leo. So I have these grand and wonderful visions, and I have such a personality that everybody wants to do it with me. Uh, I can't understand why anybody wouldn't want to do it with me. You understand? I'm, I'm this big leader in that way. And then the other sign, and, you know, there are 12 zodiac signs. Seventy-five percent of my zodiac signs are in Virgo. Nine of my signs, you know, you have 12, and nine of them are in Virgo. And the goal of a Virgo is to be perfect in everything that you do. <laughs> and Grace, I
0: only do this with love because you and I know each other. But are you looking at your notes from yesterday? What? <laughs> <me. laughs>
2: I have a few little phrases that, you know, they didn't stick in my head, so I wanted to make sure that I could remember them. <laughs> I'm still working on the control, okay? <laughs> oh, Virgo not only wants to be perfect, but a Virgo what is very picky. A Virgo is orderly and, you know, knows all of it and wants to follow instructions and be the perfect person. So there's the Virgo Leo side of my control. And then, um, this may get a little personal, but the nurture side, um, well, in the first place, I was, uh, I was the middle child of five children, but I had two brothers older than me and two brothers younger than me, so I felt like, you know, I, I, was, the, I was the special child. It wasn't like I was uh, the middle child. I was a special child because I was uh, the girl. And I've always told myself, I wasn't spoiled. Even though I was the only girl, I wasn't spoiled. I and mean, how can you be spoiled in a family of five, you know, five kids? But I've realized that I did hold a special place. I I felt myself to be special. I kind of, uh, you know, I had some, um, what do they call that, um, privilege. I felt that I had some privilege in the household. <laughs> and I didn't realize that until just recently. <laughs> but it's kind of carried through, you know, that I've always felt like what I wanted is probably what I should have and the way I wanted to do it is the way it should be done. That just, I think that was part of the nurture and a real important part of the nurture was when I was four years old, I had a, a sexual experience with the playful experience with a little girl down the street But in order for this to do it, she was a little older than I was and she told me to go under the house so we could do this and my mother... Called and called and called. Didn't know where She freaked out totally. Now, I have to tell you, my mother grew up in a household where when she was 14, she went to her mama and said, Mama, Della, her sister, tells me that babies come from your navel. Is that true? Her mother, my grandmother, backhanded her and said, don't you come around talking to me about filthy things like that ever again. Hmm. My mother had no chance to be have a healthy idea about what her libido was or sexuality was or so forth so when she found her four-year-old experimenting sexually oh my god it freaked her out she needed to stop this immediately and the way she did it was to stand me in front of my father when he got home and i had to admit to him what i did and it just seared my soul And I realized in that moment, I think, I think what I, the decision that I made in my life right then was, I got to do stuff right. I absolutely had to do stuff right, or I'm not going to be loved. Oh my God, I got to do right. So then when I was six years old, I was involved in the mildest form of incest. Male in my household uh, began, we began playing, uh, began with touching, and stroking, and proceeded to fellatio and cunnilingus. And I knew this wasn't right, but it was that same push-me-pull-you with, oh, this feels good, but why am I here doing this? Oh, but it really feels good. Why am I doing this? It was a very much of a push-me-pull-you. And um, I decided that I was not, after a while, I decided that I was not going to participate in that. That the guilt and the, the, the darkness of it outweighed any kind of um, pleasure that I got from the attention from him from, uh, from the pleasure that I got. And so I told him, okay, we're not going to do that again. And so, of course, he said, oh, yes, we are. And I said, oh, no, we're not. You know, he kept coming back to me. I remember one time, walked in while I was sitting on the toilet in the bathroom. And that was it. I told him, no. I'm not doing this anymore. I shouted at him, go away. I'm not doing this. I think I learned in that instance that in order to uh, be right, again, to, to, to do the right thing, I had to take control of my life, and it was up to me to do it. In order to be safe, in order to do the right thing in life, I had to be forceful and directed. So... And and by the way, anybody who has experienced incest, they say that uh, it takes you about 30 years or so before you kind of begin to come to terms with it. And I can remember driving down Central Expressway in Dallas one day thinking, feeling guilty about that six-year-old experience and thinking, why am I doing this? Why am I letting this experience dog me like this with guilt? I mean, after all, I was not, the, I mean, I'm not even that person anymore. So I decided it was a decision. I'm not going to feel guilty about that anymore. But what I actually did was to compartmentalize it. And it wasn't until about 15 years ago that uh, events happened in my life. And I focused and that shame exhibited itself as sciatica. And I was flat on my back with sciatica for six weeks and began to think about it all. And I realized during that period of time, I'd always thought that I had this push-me-pull-you uh, attitude towards sex. And I realized, I did not have an issue with sex. I have an issue with shame. And I was able, 10, 15 years ago, 15, years ago, I guess it was, I was able to realize that it was the shame in my life that had dogged me all this time. And I I. Processed it. I don't remember exactly what my process was, but I know that I came to a realization. There's no shame to be held about my libido. Absolutely none. No shame about my behavior. So anybody out there that's, and I experienced the mildest of incest I have read. Uh, That's, you know, my, my incest experience, my sexual abuse experience was nothing. And yet it dogged me. So I would urge anybody out there, if you've had any kind of a similar experience, and if it's still with you, uh, do something about it. Get some professional help and do it.
0: I was just going to ask. So, wow, thank you so much for being so transparent with us. You started off right right out the gate, Grace. I'm curious, what was that? So you said you don't remember the process necessarily, but over that time frame where you've had to come to terms with everything and it sounds like at least the way I hear you that there's some I hate to use the word responsibility because it's laden with so much meaning but it sounds like the way in which you came to peace with this or at least so matter of fact they shared with us what happened and kind of the process you went through feels like you also take, take ownership maybe there's some ownership, maybe not responsibility like fault, but like ownership like this is mine to deal with, this is mine to do something I'm curious about how you went about getting to the ownership. Because that's probably something that people struggle through. And your control was a survival mechanism. How did you turn that into something that was more empowering?
2: I'm not sure. Let's see if I can figure that out. Um, and you're talking about how did I own the experience? Yeah. Um. I think part of it was just living with it, knowing that nobody made me feel guilty I made myself feel shameful about it, uh, coming to the understanding that um, part, part, of, part of my um, spiritual understanding now is everybody does the, does the best they can with what they have in the moment based on who you are, what your personality is like, that nature thing, based on your experiences, that nurture thing, at any one point in time, and, and the experiences that you accumulate, and the, the, especially the, um, the reinforcing experiences of those wounds, issues, fears, and false beliefs. At any one point in time, you're going to be doing whatever, what, the best you can with what you have. So I think that I came to an understanding that all these years I've been doing the best I could with what I had, and now I can look at, at myself differently. It was, it was, a, it was owning that this, this was my viewpoint that was not very healthy, and I can, I can adopt a different viewpoint that is healthy, with no blame and no recrimination. I think perhaps I went through some kind of a process like that.
0: Um. And you'd mentioned that, you know, that moment where you asserted yourself, like, this isn't happening anymore. When you told that family member that you decided that you're going to be forceful and directive in order to manage your safety. So tell us how, now, that that decision back then when you were, what, six years old, you said? Mm
2: -hmm.
0: How has that played out, having made that decision then, how has that played out in other areas of your life?
2: Oh, in all areas, (laughs) because part of that decision was I have to be strong to be right, not to be right, but to be, to be good, to be uh, right-minded, to, to do the right thing, that kind of thing. Um, And um, I think it sort of directed my life now that I think about it. I have constant, I I think I've read every self-help book on the planet, (laughs) because I am constantly seeking to um, be that next best person that I can be, um, do the, the next best right thing to determine what is right. And right has switched. It, it has evolved as I've been moving along. But I, I think um, that's at least one of the ways in which it has exhibited itself. Another way, it, uh, sort of a positive way it's exhibited itself, both the nature and nurture of my um, my being, I've had tremendous um, uh, tremendous leadership skills that I've exerted, and um, I can remember I was the, uh, a co-leader of the social uh, social co-leader for my single heirs, which was a, a, in my 20s it was a, a so, it was a, a Sunday school at the Methodist Church downtown Dallas. Oh, it was a huge group of like probably over a hundred singles, uh, and uh, we had some bang up parties. <laughs> and you can't have a bang up party for over a hundred people if you're not organized, and if you don't exert, and if you don't, you know, use your influence to to get people to help to to do as well. Uh, and as a as a teacher trainer, uh, was fortunate enough to learn. A set of thinking skills, and finally knew what I was in the classroom for. You don't just give information and, and pitch it back, but you lead children. You're in a position of leadership, and with your questions, you lead them to figure out what's all, what, uh, what relationships there are, what the facts mean, what the whole thing means. You know, draw conclusions from it all. I took those skills that I learned and dealt with with children into working with, with adults, uh, and I, I think that being, you know, wanting to do the right thing, being in a leadership position, I think, I think those sorts of things influenced the kind of teacher trainer that I was as well.
0: Um, That's interesting. So what I'm hearing is that what you did is that, that part of you that sought to control, to manage, to do that right thing is actually a superpower.
2: When it's used right. When is used
0: right? And it sounds like you, you're you able to take it and apply it to all these different areas of your life that needed order, that needed structure, that needed management, and apply it. I'm also curious about when has it been your kryptonite? When has it gone against your... <laughs> when, when have you seen it well, I'll tell you. as effective?
2: Give me some examples. Have- I, I bring my, my skills to bear uh, whenever we have family gatherings. And family, as you can imagine, being one of five kids, family is really important. My mother's one of 10 kids. We had these huge, marvelous family reunions that was just, oh, so family is a, is a, a big part of my life. I can remember my second husband. When we were about to have a big family gathering. Now I had two small children and a husband and and uh, very high standards. House had to be clean, the, the table had to be set exactly, the food had to be perfect, etc. And I remember him saying to me one day, Grace, because it would get down to the point where I couldn't do it all. I just couldn't do it all. There was just too much to do. And and I can remember him saying, Grace, your lack of planning does not Uh, mandate an emergency on my part (laughs) he felt pushed (laughs) Mm -hmm. and and I can remember recently I've had some difficulties with some other relatives of mine just periodically you know no big bust-ups or anything but recently I uh, sent an email because I was being There was something, some responsibility with another of our uh, relatives that I couldn't fulfill myself. And so I was arranging things so that this person would help me with what I felt was my responsibility, but I couldn't fulfill it. So I sent a text to these these people. And I meant to say, I plan to be there at 2.30. But what I sent was, you know, you shorten your email sometimes. I shortened it planned to be there at 2 30. <laughs> I didn't realize that until I hadn't heard from him and I called him back and he he's told me I'm sick and tired of your being pushy and was it directive pushy and um, and directive maybe that was the word uh, you know sick and tired of your being so that means he had experienced that a lot of times before him I, you know, I've been relatively oblivious my, <laughs> a lot of my life. Truly, I've been oblivious and did not realize that what I thought was just the norm. This is what people should do, you know, and try to encourage everybody else to help me with this norm. I was being pushy and directive. Mm. It was. It was a. It was a revelation. Um. Yeah. <laughs>
0: That's interesting. I think, you know, as you're, as you're sharing what your brand of control looks like, I, I call them, they're branded, right? Because all of us have a different way of expressing it. I think for me has been in being staunchly independent. You know, kind of like you, I have, I have three brothers. I'm the only girl. And, you know, we're all special in our own way. Except there's the firstborn. I'm the, I'm the middle child because I have two younger brothers who are twins. So all of us kind of had our special place. And because I was the only girl, I was privy to a lot of things for myself that no one else had, you know, I had my own room, I had my own toys. I didn't have any hand-me-down clothes for my brothers, stuff like that. And, and for me, control was, I remember, <laughs> I'm still a little bit like this, but I remember when I was growing up, I wouldn't let my brothers in my room. They literally had to stand at the door and talk to me if they wanted to engage. <laughs> I'm like, get out, step out of the room. What do you want? <laughs> what do you need? And I would sit there very comfortably doing whatever I was doing, but they literally had to stand there to talk or just ask questions or whatever. <laughs> and I'm still to this day pretty territorial. Like, I just don't have people over that much. My space has always been pretty special to me,
2: but we're yeah, always of- managing. Sorry? We each have our brand of specialness. <laughs> absolutely.
0: Absolutely. So, so I can see in ways, and then for me, and I think I shared this on one of the sessions, it's session maybe last week or that 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 superpower of being able to manage myself was fantastic it was a superpower when I traveled and I traveled alone a lot of times and I'm very successful at it the kind of work that I've been able to do independent of a team or having a supervisor next to me telling me what to do and been able to be super assertive throughout my life and be successful at it and there was also a lot of times when it was lonely because there wasn't, you know, I didn't create enough space for people to step in and support or help. And you know, I had the story that people just weren't supportive enough. Because <laughs> I didn't realize my role in like, stay out, <laughs> you over there, me over here. This is my space. <laughs> now
2: that
0: <laughs> manifested in me saying, "You're not supportive enough."
2: don't <laughs> how we do that, isn't it? Hmm, it is. <laughs> you're you're the cause of my problem. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so I'm really, I'm
0: curious now. So obviously, you know, the, the many years of experience that you've had personally, but you're also a mother. I'm curious, how does this manifest itself, your control, your either the superpower or your or your kryptonite self? How does that manifest in your mothering?
2: I never thought about that, but I did. Uh, I, my, my mom, bless her heart, she did the best she could with what she had. And she was, uh, what is that airplane guidance that, that whenever you get off track, she you know they push you back and you get off over here and it pushes you back. Mm. Whatever that airplane guidance is, thing it happens that way. Well, my mom was sort of like that. She thought that when I got off track, she needed to tell me what I did wrong. If I got off track, she'd tell me what I did wrong. If I got off, but she never, I, my perception was that she never praised me. I could never please her. Uh, I never felt like I was good enough. When I was in high school, I didn't make the, the, the GRE exams that you take to go to college. My score wasn't as high as my friend's was. And I said to myself, the only thing I excel at is being mediocre. I mean, that's, that's a terrible indictment of oneself. But I actually believed it. I never, ever measured it, which is another one of these things. I want to be perfect in everything. I want to do right. I want to, I'm still trying to please my mom that's sitting on my, on my shoulder an awful lot. So I forgot what the question was. I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> Just about your mothering, how that shows up. Oh, when, right. your
2: mother so, so, so I kind of, you know, like most people did, I did not want to be like my mother. I did not want to criticize all the time. I wanted to support and buoy up as much as I could. So I remember my little girl had hair that was straight as a string. And I thought, bless her heart. <laughs> She's never going to have beautiful hair, is she? So I told her every time, every time I combed her hair, I said, oh, your hair is so beautiful. <laughs> I, was, I, tended to, to, um, I tended to talk to my children to explain things and get them involved and I tended to, to buoy them up. Um, and I was very directive. I mean, I, you know, I knew what was right. Uh, my daughter, again, my daughter, um, she had a tendency to be histrionic. When something would happen, it was like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> you know? And I would let it go on until I thought she had probably played it out as much as she needed to. And I would say, okay, Susanna, you need to control yourself now. Let's go do so-and-so, and she'd calm down and we'd go on and do it. Um, she has recently told me that she wants to be careful about allowing her child, who's 14 months now, to have her own feelings. <laughs> so it makes me think that I may have misjudged her and probably should have let her go on a little bit longer or just let her go on you know, until she decided she'd had enough. But... Um, I, was, I, was, I was directed. I made a lot of mistakes when I was a little kid, I, when, when my children were little. I remember um, my son, when he was like three years old, we were living in London at the time, and um, he came home and he was, oh, he was playing with some other little kid and, and he hit him or was, you know, acting out, was really angry. And I remember telling him, oh, no, honey, you don't want to do that. You don't want to hurt him. You want, uh, uh, whatever. I didn't say, Benjamin, you're really angry right now, but we don't hit other people. And I didn't do that. I told him he wasn't angry. <laughs> Again, trying to control, you know, what goes yeah. on. So, so that we do right. So I made my own.
0: <laughs> it sounds like it just kind of came out a little subconsciously, right? Those tendencies.
2: Uh-huh. Yeah. But, yeah. but I want to add, too, if there are any parents out there or any people who have have uh, grandchildren, and half have parents, I've learned you can take part of the credit and part of the blame, but you can't take all the credit, you can't take all the blame about how your kids turn out. <laughs> I've also discovered for myself that kids, we all come into the world with a template, and that template absorbs good stuff that's going to buoy us up and uh, prop up our really good, the good parts of us. That template is all gonna also gonna absorb native stuff that's gonna scar us. And what parents don't understand is you don't know what scars them and you don't know what buoys them up and and supports them. You just don't. I had felt guilty about something that my son had in 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 uh, I had not done something to support my child uh, junior high. I felt guilty about it for 25 years and finally about 10 years ago I, I, I sat him down and I said okay Benjamin I felt guilty about this for 25 years I have to know how much of a scar it made on me and I explained to him what had happened and after I finished he looked at me and he said mom did that really happen 25 years this has been on my shoulders you don't even remember it oh my god Then he told me about something that I just did in sort of an offhanded way. Every night I'd say to him something. And he told me later after that one, he told me that that was extremely important to him, what I said to him at night, that it kind of carried him through high school. And even today remembers it. And I thought, whoa! I never dreamed that that would be something seminal to him. I thought he'd like it, but I never dreamed it would be something seminal to his personality. So parents just don't know.
0: That's funny, and I, I would agree with that, that we don't know what scars and what buoys people. So I'm...
2: Oh, oh, but let me, I'm sorry, I can't stop this without a say. So what do you do? Yeah. You do the best you can with what you have, love them in, in the best way that you can, and the biggest, the biggest obligation, the biggest responsibility you have to your child is, if you know that you have an issue about X, Y, and Z, get that issue settled, you need to heal. If you know you have a wound, you need to heal. If you know that you have a, a false belief that comes up in your life, you need to restate it and learn what it is. Because you teach who you are to your children. And the mm-hmm. best thing you can do for them is to get as straight as you can with yourself in order to be a good parent. Now, it was-
0: <laughs> it's funny you say this. And Oh, one of these days I may have to invite my dad to be on this call. We <laughs> had really fantastic conversations. I'll share with him uh, an experience I had with my nephew acting out about something. And my dad said to me, well, it sounds like you just need someone to listen. You need to figure out what the feeling is. Like, what's at the root of that feeling? And I was like, okay, can, dad, can you hang on a second? I just need to look at my caller ID is this my dad talking? Like, who is this? <laughs> because our experience growing up, at least my experience growing up, <laughs> did not necessarily reflect about the process. And so I shared it with him, and I'm like, wait, where did this come from? Have you been watch- watching Dr. Phil or something? Like, what is this? <laughs> who is this man? And, and, he's, and he said something very simple. He said, you know, I just didn't know what I didn't know when y'all were growing up. And now that I know more things, I see things from a different perspective, then I can take different actions. And I, and I think that points so brilliantly to what you just said. We have the responsibility that when we suss out, you know, we discover that there's a wound, there's some hurt part of us, our responsibility is to actually heal it, to figure out a way to diminish the pain, to ameliorate it, to do whatever we can, not to hold a story about it, right, yes. to be victimized by it. And then, you know, sometimes victimize other people as a result. And I love that. And I think that's, you know, my dad demonstrates. And both my mom and my dad have had their moments of clarity now that we're older. And it was like, oh, my gosh, you know, I can't believe we did that. This is what I think would be best to do now, especially with grandchildren. they are able to apply some of this. Yeah. Yeah. It requires a lot of grace (laughs) (laughs) to do so. Uh, and, and I think what you also point to is, is, is some compassion, some self-compassion. So how do you manage that? How do you practice? First of all, two questions. One is, how do you manage to identify when something hurts, when, when there's something to be healed? But sometimes I think we might need some clues for that. And then when you discover that, how do you give yourself that compassion to be able to look at it without you know, throwing you off or taking you out.
2: This is going to be where a a spiritual component comes into this because uh, my spiritual life is, you know, an integral part of who I am. First thing you have to do is pay attention. The biggest thing you have to do is pay attention. Um, We spend our lives habitually behaving. We don't stop and think about what we're doing. We just behave. And... Uh, the first thing you have to do is to be mindful of what's going on within you. Um, Course in Miracles says that if if you're not in peace, then you're functioning on a fear or a false belief. So if I'm unhappy, if I'm irritated, if I feel a bit shamed, if I'm angry, all those negative feelings... Are indicators that you need to look at something because if you if you were if you totally loved yourself uh, you would feel totally loving to everyone else in the world you would recognize that they make mistakes you would recognize that out of there that they're behaving uh, when they behave badly they're behaving out of their own wounds but you wouldn't hate them you wouldn't want to strike them down for it um, so when, when you feel the slightest bit negative, when you're out of peace or you're out of love, that's the biggest indication that you need to start digging. Can and you give
0: an example of how, like just in life, give an example of what that would look like. Like something that you've experienced, for example, where you've noticed, oh, I'm in pain or I'm in.
2: Um, um, I can, uh, let's see, which one do I want to pick? <laughs> Um, 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 well, the only thing that's coming up to me right this second is, um, uh, and, and we haven't gone into yet this whole thing about how I've learned to improve you know, on this, on this uh, once I've discovered this, become aware of my control, what did I do about it? We, we haven't got to that part yet, but uh, part of that story is my uh, wonderful husband, who is my third best and final husband. He, he and I have characterized our personalities as, I'm the rabbit, and he's the turtle. I speak fast, I eat fast, I walk fast, I think fast, I drive fast. <laughs> he doesn't. Uh, and it shows up a lot, or it used to show up a lot. When, I would, when he'd be driving, I'd go places with him. He does not drive like I do. <laughs> And this constant in my head, why did he do that? Why am I going faster? Why didn't he turn over there? Why is he in the other lane? Oh my gosh, are we really gonna go this far? So, you know, all of those little questions, you notice those. Well, I noticed those. And uh I, I had been doing a lot of processing, uh, and I finally came to an understanding one day when um I it, it was it was like I'd been thinking about this and trying to let it go and wondering what it was. And one day we were in the car together, and he uh, we could we he couldn't go the long way. He couldn't go the long way that he wanted to because the road was blocked off, and so he had to go a different way. So instead of just kind of taking the shortest route, like I would have done, back to the other street and gone another direction. He went all the way around the blueberry bush, all the way up here, and, and then went back around. And I realized in that minute, this is this is what he's comfortable with. He's not comfortable with he does it, with going this little short way that I would have gone. And I realized that you know, it's true, my Virgo. I know the fastest way, the shortest way, the most most efficient way of getting from A to B. I do. You just name it. I'm going to find, if I don't know it absolutely, I'm going to find it. The shortest, fastest, most efficient way to get there. Mm And then I thought, that's not always the best way to go, is it? Oh, there's other criteria in the world that may not be the best way to go. And it was, believe it or not, it was a revelation to me. (laughs) (laughs) I believe it. (laughs) My way may not be the best way. (laughs) (laughs) so that was sort of an instantaneous uh, revelation in other ways i can't give you an example to think about right now but in other ways if i if something is disturbing me and i know that i need to process it then i'll go in meditation and i'll ask spirit to show me the place in my childhood or show me the incident where this this you know that this ire is based on. Course, in miracle says you're never upset for the reason you think. That snarky thing that that, that your friend said, you're not ab, you're not really upset over that snarky thing that friend said. If you look under it, uh, it might be something like um, your mother used to say snarky things to you like that, and it undermined your confidence in yourself. And that's what you were hearing. You didn't hear what your friend said. You were hearing your, you know the echoes of your mother. So the first thing you do is understand that what I'm upset about is not what I'm upset about. It has nothing to do with this that's going on right this minute. It has nothing to do with that. And so one of the processes that I have is I take it into meditation and I ask spirit to show me where did this come from? And often, often I, I go back to my mom. Usually it's, it's a relationship issue or a problem that happens with my mom and It gives me an opportunity to see what happened. Forgive my mom, forgive myself, because my mom was doing the best she could with what she had. She didn't didn't intentionally scar me. She loved me desperately. I, as this innocent, innocent, didn't know anything but to interpret what happened as I'm a bad person or I fell short or whatever it was. That's all I could do in my innocence. So, I had an opportunity to forgive my mother, I had an opportunity to forgive myself. In the end, you come to this loving state of equilibrium. I love my mother, I, I loved myself, and realized there's nothing to forgive. And then I can come back to this situation and realize I interpreted what happened as being this, this thing over here. This, this is nullified, this is neutral, this doesn't have anything to do with what disturbed me. And I then am able to respond to what did happen in a rational
0: loving way. Yeah, I think the key there is just being that, like you said, mindful, right? Being conscious of what is, what is coming up for us. Um, and I also love that, that you talked about, those are moments where you're not at peace. And those are the telltale signs that there's something to heal, there's something to look at, there's something to find out what's the source, right? what's at the root, is when we are not at peace. Absolutely. And You know, oftentimes I imagine that when we're dealing with issues of control, there's a lot of lack of peace happening in the moment. But we I imagine that some of us, you know, if not most of us have this opportunity to want to exert some control or some pressure or to like manage whatever is creating that lack of peace, whether that's a person, whether that's your husband's driving, whether that's someone coming into my space, whether that's whatever that brand of peace that's been broken, we want to exert outward. What you're pointing to is actually this is the perfect time to go inward and to find out, wow, okay, there's a lack of peace here. It has nothing to do with what's what's happening in the exterior. It's all to do with this story that that I've come up with or that I've used to interpret in, in my interior. Now, in moments of silence, in your case, meditation, figuring out where's that coming from and how do I heal it? I love that. That is brilliant. You, you've mentioned a course of miracles a couple of times, and I want to make sure that those that are listening who, and thank you all so much for being in, engaged in this conversation. I, I want to make sure that they understand where, what that what that means, what it is, since you've referred to it a couple of times. And before you do that, I do want to mention those of you who are online with us live, whether here on Zoom or even on on Facebook. Please go ahead and. Type in your question or comment, what insights are you getting from this conversation? If you'd like to speak up and you actually say something and engage with us, if you're on the phone here on Zoom, hit star nine, and that will ha- raise your hand and I want to call on you. Or those of you who are on the webcam, you can hit the, the hand icon to raise your hand and I'll call on you then as well. So you wanna make sure that you ask a question or make whatever comment you'd like to do before we end our conversation today. So back to Grace. Grace, Course in Miracles. Tell us what it is and why that's an
2: important tool for you. The Course in Miracles is a book and it is my spiritual path now. Uh, I picked up the book. I, I acquired the book from a friend in mid-70s. And I, like a good student, page one, chapter one, began reading it. It just went over my head right away. So I put it on the shelf for 35 years. John started a group about 10 years ago in our church, the unity church on Greenville, and I began again, I picked the book up and began to study it, and I had huge questions from my uh, Baptist uh, foundation. 14 years old, I began to question the veracity of everything that I was, a good bit of what I was taught. Uh, I ended up in the unity church which was, it, it, it was in sync more with what resonated with me as the truth. And then, but I still had lots of questions. The Course in Miracles seems to answer all of my questions. It's just a whole complete path for me. Essentially, in a nutshell, it says, we are asleep in God, dreaming that we're here. But we, we're not here. We really are in God which means that there is only oneness. There is God, and I am a part of God. It's like a hologram. You know, a hologram has everything that, that is the whole, and, and then there is the whole. So it's, it's like we all are one. There's not six people. There are not six people here. There's one entity. That entity is love, joy, peace. All that we think of as being the divine, But from the moment of birth, we are taught that this world, with the sights, the sounds, the feelings, the touches, the tastes, that's reality. We're not taught that we are one with God, that we have spirit. I think that you're sitting there and I'm sitting here. We're taught separation. And because we're taught separation and because we think we have separated from God, Way deep down inside of us, we kind of feel guilty that we could even have done such a thing as separate from God. And so much of our behavior, because guilt is not fun, we try to blame other people. We blame you, you know. I, I blame anybody and everybody. Everything that is outside of me is the cause of my problem. It's not me. So there are tools that of Course in Miracles says that we need in order to get through this, in order to recognize our oneness. The first one is prayer. Prayer is not asking for things. Well, you can ask for things in a prayer, but that's the very lowest level, most ineffective level of prayer. Highest level of prayer is aligning with this oneness, aligning with love, peace, and joy, being, feeling your oneness with God. The second tool is forgiveness. And forgiveness, like I described a minute ago, is not, you did that snarky thing to me. Do you know what? (sighs) I forgive you. That is not forgiveness. Forgiveness doesn't recognize that you did it wrong and then somehow erase it. That's not what it is. Forgiveness is recognizing you're doing the best you can with what you have. What you did came from your wounds, issues, and fears, if it was a negative thing. My reaction to you, Came from my wounds, issues, and fears if I if I did something snarky back to them. So what I need to realize is that you did the best you could with what you had. Of uh, Course in miracles, this is another one of tools, says we have actually two behaviors. One, we're expressing love. Two, we're calling for love, help, and healing. So your snarky behavior, that was just saying. Please love me. I just want to be loved. It looked like snarky behavior, but it was just, it was a, an appeal. Please love me and accept me just as I am. Help me to be free. My reaction to you, if it was snarky, it was the same thing. I still was acting out of my wounds. I still was appealing for love from you. That's the first level, the, the ego level of how to forgive. And the the deeper level is. You are perfect, whole, and complete. You are love, joy, and peace. There's no way that the real you can do anything that's going to try to hurt me. I am love, joy, and peace. That's really all I am. I am not this flesh and blood body. I am love, joy, and peace. There's not anything that I can do to you. That's that's, I, I wouldn't do anything that would hurt you. One of the um, in the very beginning of the Course in Miracles, it says nothing real can be threatened, nothing unreal exists. So nothing
0: real can be threatened. Nothing unreal exists.
2: exists. Unreal. That's right. You can't hurt me. I am truly indestructible because I am real. I am aligned with God. I am spirit. I am peace, love, and joy. The this thing. That dis that destructs eventually. It really doesn't exist. The only thing real about me is what you can't see. Yeah. Mm. So.
0: Ooh. Um. Thank you. That's really good. The only thing real about me is what you can't see. Yeah. I think that's a bumper sticker in the making. <laughs> 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 I want to bring in uh, one of our listeners who has a comment for you, yeah. Johanna. Go ahead. Tell us where you're calling from, Johanna, so
3: you, so Grace knows who you are. I'm actually not in Dallas today. I'm in a very very small little town called Edna, Texas, um, and so I'm working from home, but um, it's like an hour south of Houston. Mm. Um, so, but anyway, I, uh, I I definitely when I saw the topic today, I was like, oh boy, I should probably jump on this one <laughs> because uh, <laughs> control has always been something that I, um, that I struggle with really since forever. I mean, I I can remember, but um, after years and years of um, therapy and, and much like Grace's story, I, um, I unfortunately had a childhood filled with um, severe abuse. And so um, even the leadership class that I went through last year and um, talking to, Um, somebody that I'd never I'd never even met before Um, and we were talking about some things that I should work on and listening was actually one of the things that I really want to focus on and within five minutes um, she said can I ask a personal question and I was like "Uh, okay (laughs) and she said did something happen to you when you were a kid and I was like "Uh, what (laughs) I I was so perplexed by that but I think that the control thing and the need to get something accomplished and to go straight for what you want and to right away set your feet in, place them in, demand what you want, I think is all the defense mechanism in a way, um, or at least I guess it has been for me. Uh, so I, I, you know, for me, I think it was so eye-opening that I thought, oh my gosh, how much am I doing this and while I know that the control thing was probably one of the bigger issues in my marriage I thought oh my gosh I, I must really project this in a way that I don't even realize and it made me it made me sad it really did I, I don't ever want to people to, to feel that I'm that way um or not open to <laughs> other ideas or anything like that um and being a type A personality, that's that's one thing. But I it just made me so self aware and um a little bit insecure almost. Like I I, I began to just be quiet. <laughs> and maybe I needed to. Um maybe I needed to listen a little more. Um but I you know, it was eye opening just for some stranger that I'd literally never met to to just know that, you know, for me I think it, it was survival I think for me to take control over going forward I, I just always I felt like I needed to do that and so um I you know it, this whole conversation has been very eye opening and I too and that passenger driver that I'm like why are they doing this and why are we <laughs> there's an open lane to the left why are we in a line you know I am I am definitely that person I'm like I don't understand why you know why don't they see what I see? This kind of thing. And, um, but it is an internal struggle literally all the time. Um, and I, you know, I, I don't want to be that person to my son. And unfortunately I know that I have, I mean, I just, I don't mean to, I, I, um, you know, I, it's, it's definitely something that, you know, you do the best you can, like you said. And, and I literally am like, I, I should just start paying for his therapy. <laughs> <laughs>
0: start a savings account.
3: <laughs> yeah. Let oh, yeah. me just start yourself. making payments now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thank you for sharing that, Johanna. Um, Grace, what would you say to that, what Johanna just shared?
2: Thank you for sharing that. And don't feel guilty about anything. Don't feel upset for the past. Recognize that you recognize and and celebrate that. You recognize that perhaps or yes, uh, you've been controlling. That's the first step. You know, paying attention, recognizing that that's the first step toward doing something different and and move forward with it. Do ask for guidance and move forward with what, what you need to do. To uh, to make the next change, and it's not to completely you know eliminate um, control in your life and be a new person next week. Then what's the next step on your on your journey? That's what I would say. I, if if it's if it's okay, I would like to talk about uh, what brought me up to really looking at my control issues, which was go ahead.
0: Before before you do that, yes, I do. Thank you very much, Johanna, for, for sharing what you shared. And I, I, I appreciate you revealing parts of you. Every time that you come on this program, you have something more revealing to share. And I really want to acknowledge that. Um, we've hit the hour mark, and this is a big subject. So I'm actually going to let go of the control of Closing down the topic <laughs> before, before we get to this good part. And so I want to be respectful, though, of those of you who need to jump off, please do. You know that this recording will be available. I do want to share that next week we have another special guest. We're going to be focusing on health and wellness with Heather Lynn Darby. You may have heard she's participated in a few of our sessions as well. So we're looking forward to Heather talking about her own journey to, to gaining health and how she's helping other people do the same. So that's going to be coming up next week, same time, same place. So for those of you who have to jump off, please feel free to do so now. And everyone else who's just captivated by this discussion and finding ways to apply this into their life, I want to get back to what you were saying, Grace. Yes, please do share. What, what is it that you have in your heart to, to mention?
2: Okay. And, and I will edit this somewhat. <laughs> um, I um, it became aware to me that I wanted to have uh, some counseling uh, certificate, uh, some kind of credentials. Because I, uh, while I'd read every self-help book on the planet and been in therapy four times myself and have a feel for what therapy is, I didn't feel qualified to actually do therapy. And I was involved in doing counseling with people um, through our course in Miracles group. So. I looked around, and there's an organization called Pathways of Light. They are a church without walls. They do—they uh, put out much, much training. It's very wonderful, and every bit of it is founded in Course of Miracles principles. They happen to have a ministerial program, so I enrolled in their ministerial program. And the first—it had four steps. The first three steps was clearing yourself of your psychological, emotional, spiritual false beliefs and debris, And uh, it really, a lot of stuff came up. It took me a year, and um, there was just a lot periodically that would come up that I knew were control issues. So I'd peel away a little little, uh, layer of it. Another control issue would come up, peel another layer off. Another control issue would come up, peel another layer off. This happened all year long. I was ordained in November on the 19th, and uh, it was, you know, the last month was really hectic, and, and um, there were celebrations on the Sunday when I was ordained. The day after, I went to spend uh, 10 days with my daughter in New York with the brand new nine-month-old baby, and then we got home, and I crashed, and I thought, why? I mean, I, I'm finished with this, with my certificate, with my... With my I've gotten a rev, uh, I, I spent time with the. why am I depressed? And I realized, it just came to me, spirit spoke to me and said, your real control issue is that you don't want to give up Grace Evelyn Sanders Rice, call your Bradley Bradley Vivian. Those are all my married names. I was habitually, habitually operating as Grace Vivian, all my life. Well, Grace, Grace, all my life. I've been operating as Grace, this person with the, with the suit, you know, the person suit, all my life. Thinking about my brand-new baby, Evie Marie, we come out of the womb with, oh, Evie Marie, your name is Evie Marie. We've been waiting for you for nine months. I'm so pleased that you're here. I'm your mommy. I'm your mommy. Here's your daddy. That's the doctor. There's the nurse. There's the ceiling, There's the bed. This is the cheat. Separation, separation, separation. From the moment we come out of our our the womb, we are taught you are you and I am I. We are not taught spiritual principles that we are one. We're not taught that there is that your body is the unreal thing, and what's real about you I can't see. We're not taught that. So we grow up habitually thinking as an ego. Habitually. We don't think about we don't think to question our egoness. And I realized that my biggest control issue was getting away from my egoness. It was being willing to stop thinking. My biggest issue was being willing to stop thinking with the ego and begin to habitually think with spirit. <laughs> So, Course in Miracles is divided up in three different sections. The first is the text, the second is the workbook, and the fourth is uh, something called a manual for teachers. The workbook has one lesson per day. The instructions are, do one lesson a day, do them as prescribed. You don't have to believe them, you don't have to like them, you can actively resist them, but just do them, and it's going to make a difference to your life. Kind of like like exercising certain vegetables. Absolutely. I had done some of the lessons, but I've never ever done them seriously with trying to practice them. So I began January the 1st practicing the lessons. Sometimes you have to think something uh, once an hour. Sometimes you have 15 minutes in the morning when you think about this thing, or 15 minutes in the evening. and it, And the whole practice of it is to try to get you to think more and more with and as spirit. Think more love. Think more joy. Think more forgiveness. Think more hope. Think more happiness. Uh, And I um, am in the middle of all of this, and I'm happy to report that I'm not there yet. (laughs) I can see signs of hope. One of, the, one of the control things that has plagued me through my life is I'm a smart person. I've read all these psychology books. I know what you need to be doing. If you just do X, Y, and Z, your life would improve so much. And I've toned it down so that I'd say, well, if I were you, blah, 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 blah. But I was still telling people what to do. And through this, uh, I, an example of how I have toned that down uh, a friend of mine the other day was talking about her husband and how he needs to do X, Y, and Z. He's just going to kill himself if he doesn't. I just can't understand why he doesn't do X, Y, and Z. Oh, and when I had blah, 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 what I did was MNO. He needs to do M, N, O. I I know that's his problem, too. And inside my head, I was, honey, why, you, you, why are you doing that to him? How do you know that's what he needs to be doing? I mean, you don't know. He has his own way of doing it. Maybe, maybe you're criticizing him and telling him he needs to do ABC. is worse than he's not doing ABC. And then I thought, oh, my God, I'm doing her what she's doing him. Oh, yeah. this is that I know what you should be doing thing that I've been doing all my life. And I thought, how do I know what she should be doing? I don't. Do I know anything about the relationship that they have with one another? Maybe he doesn't get off, you know, point zero until she pushes him. Maybe that's what they have in there. Like, I don't know. Maybe, maybe she's completely right or not. Maybe she's completely wrong. It's none of my business. Well, what is my business? My business is to know that each of them have a strong inner guide. And that inner guide... They listen to. I know those people. They are on the path. They are searchers and seekers. My job is to support them in their search and know for them that they are perfect, whole, and complete people and they're doing, they're doing what they need to be doing in their lives. So I completely, in my head, backed off because I wouldn't tell you all that stuff to my friend. And I backed off. I was able just to support her. So that's, that's at least one evidence that I really am, you know, managing to make a few differences. You're life.
0: evolving. <laughs> I, I love that. And, that, and it's, that, that realization that it was like a, that moment of inception, right? She's controlling him. You're controlling her. And it's so sneaky how that happens. I, I did have a similar experience. I did a 10-day meditation retreat last year. It was the second time I went, but this time I was a staff member. And my role was to manage certain aspects of this particular experience for people. Well, around the seventh or eighth day or so, the teacher asked me to tell someone that they needed to dress more appropriately for the setting. Yeah, it's a very conservative dress that we needed to have. And so I pulled this woman out during the lunch break. It was a silent meditation, so there was not much talking with anybody at all. But when we had to, we had to definitely pulled them aside. I pulled her aside and I said, you're going to have to cover your shoulders. You know, the, the halter top you're wearing is not appropriate. And she was like, are you kidding me? This is the second time I've worn this top. No one ever said anything to me. And, da, 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 da. and and I remember in the moment, this is after seven or eight days of meditating myself too. I remember just listening to her and watching myself think through what she was sharing. And like, do I have anything to say? No, I don't have anything to say. She's going through what she's going through. She's expressing some displeasure or discomfort and me pointing it out. And and so she went on for you know maybe 10, 15 seconds. And I just looked at her and I said, well, do you need anything? And she's like, no, I can't believe this. And I said, okay,
3: all
0: right. Well, if there's anything I can do, let me know when she finished. And and I, I remember that moment, like, it, very clear that the moment of no control for me was suspend suspend all judgment that whatever is happening in front of me is wrong or bad or should be done differently that didn't in that moment didn't exist i thought was really strange because it was so not like me (laughs) so i had to pay special attention to that conversation then also noticing that i just had to be in service and being in service like you described is is really allowing that person to pull in and bring in whatever type of need or guidance or support they actually need. After that, that, I don't know, 30 seconds, maybe a minute interaction, I just stood there. She kind of got her wits about herself and she said, you know what, I'm sorry. I shouldn't be reacting this way. I know we're not here for that. Thank you. Thank you for telling me. And (laughs) And then she left and I was like, that was so easy and luckily that carried through a few days i had a conversation with my mother shortly after i left that meditation retreat and something similar happened where i'm like oh my gosh the, the need to judge and exert certain influence over my mother's way of thinking or behavior seemed to have suspended itself i'm like I don't, I don't feel like i need to say anything Okay, and we've been in that dance ever since so what what you described is is very <laughs> It's next level stuff, Grace. (laughs) It's definitely next level stuff.
2: And uh, level, actually, what I have discovered through this is that there are, if you're going to change a habit, I mean, this is what I call habits. You know, control is habit. Uh, All the kinds of negative stuff that we do, judging other people, these are habit kinds of things. And what I'm trying to do is change my habit of uh, behaving uh, in control all the time. And, the, and there, there are levels that you go through. The first level is, an event happens, you behave. An event happens, you behave. An event happens, you go on like this, and then one day you realize, you know, that behavior may not be, the, may not be serving me very well. And so you study, and you decide that I'm going to do this differently. So the event happens, oh, darn it, after a while. I didn't do anything different. The event happens, darn it. I didn't do anything different, you go through that for a while, and then the event happens oh, and I'm going to do this differently, and then the event happens and oh, catch yourself in the extreme. I'm going to do this differently, that's what was happening to you, and that's what's happening to me, and then you go through, the event happens, you do it differently, and you look back and say, I did it differently, look at that. The event happens, you do it differently, and you look back and say, I did it differently, Oh, praise me, praise me. And it's important to praise every little bit when you when you have success. And then you get to the point where the event happens, you do it, you don't think about it anymore because mm. the truth is a habit. It's an integral part of your behavior. Mm. So I, I can see that, you know, I'm not way well, up here on five, but I'm at least approaching three.
0: <laughs> and thank goodness for that. You know, I think yeah. that creates there's always there's always more to learn and more to grow for sure and i I love that you shared your own journey (laughs) i have one of the comments here from from heather is that you know this is her own her own ongoing lesson as well is you know telling or suggesting to people what they should do and that does the opposite typically right when you do that so what you're what you've been sharing with us this time has really resonated with people thank you so much grace any, any, final, any final message before we sign off for today?
2: Uh, anytime you're trying to change a behavior, it's important to praise yourself to celebrate even the tiniest hmm. of successes because that's important. You yeah. won't, won't progress unless you recognize and celebrate your successes.
0: Absolutely. And it's part of building those neural pathways so that it becomes a habit, like you mentioned. Uh, this has been, has been super enlightening. Thank you so very much for what you've shared, who you've been throughout this time together and how everything just kind of came through like you might, like you wanted to. And the impact that you've had on all the people who are listening now and also will be listening in the future. Because this will be here forever. Maybe even Marie might watch this
2: and go, that's my grandma! <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> At some point, if this exists still, when she's grown up enough.
2: It thank was you. a pleasure, and thank you for this service that you are offering to mankind. Oh, it's a
0: treat. Thank you, Grace. Thank you, Beverly. Thank you, Grace. Hey. thanks everyone. Thank you, Sandy. And thank you, Heather. Thanks, John. Thanks all of you for participating today. We'll see you next week, where we'll have Heather, like I mentioned before, talking about her journey through wellness and how she's helping other people along the same path. And Thank you guys again. I'll post this in the next couple days. Feel free to share this with your community so that you can also find ways to bring about conversations about how you show up in controlling ways and what you can do to be a better version of yourself every step of the way. Thanks everyone. Bye.
1: Bye.